The goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising. We do that every week by sharing the stories and advice of those rocking it on the other side. We are back this week with part two of an incredibly insightful conversation with David Colbush. Please listen to part one first if you have not already we posted that last week seriously though he's one of the most incredible humans i've had on the show so we couldn't encapsulate his story and advice in one episode so for the first time ever we said screw it we're making this a two-parter and really that's great news for you the aspiring advertiser because david is one of the best in the business flipping the page david is the chief creative officer at orchard and he's also an adweek creative 100 Frequently cited as one of the advertising industry's most esteemed creative leaders, David began his career as a journalist, moving into copywriting because it felt less corrupt as an industry. He's worked on some of the biggest brands in the world, including Coca-Cola, Amazon, Facebook, Axe, and The Gap. When it comes to the work he creates on behalf of brands, Colbush's standards are high, but never, never at the expense of collaboration. Here are some quotes about David. Colbush is known for being one of the ad industry's most sought after creative leaders and his next move after Droga 5 has long been a subject of speculation. That was in ad week, April 12th of 2022. And David Droga himself described David as one of the world's best creative leaders featured in Campaign Magazine. This episode starts with the cliffhanger. We promised last week where David explains the most embarrassing ad he has ever produced. And we get deep into how he worked with David Droga at Droga 5 London and other tangible advice for you to break in and thrive in advertising. So also we listed out David's top resources for aspiring advertisers on our Instagram at breaking and entering pod. That's at breaking and entering pod. Go there, give us a follow, and check out those secret tools. Now on with the show. This is the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast, and as usual, I'm your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. back part two episode two first time we've ever done this uh we were talking before pioneering uh, pioneering how was uh how have you been since we last talked i'm good i'm uh it's been a busy week uh but very good and you... uh i enjoyed our, our chat last week and i'm uh i'm excited to uh to pick up where we left off yes yes i was gonna ask any new business wins any campaign announcements since we last spoke um is that legal to ask there's there's stuff coming up actually there'll, there'll be some things coming out next week um mm -hmm. and by the time this airs it'll probably already been out for a couple weeks so, so I, I should just say yes yeah um, <laughs> there will be yes yes there is new so new work yes and then the new business win i mean hopefully we'll see it's always hopefully <laughs> we'll, we'll see if it uh if, if that materializes before this airs gotcha well We'll have to follow up. Mm. All right, but let's get back to it because we left last episode last week with a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger being we, we, you know, we talk with amazing guests every week about how amazing they are and, and their creative agencies are and the ads they make 
how great they are, award-winning. But we we decided to flip the script a little bit. We want to know what are some of the most embarrassing ads? What's the single most embarrassing ad you've made that sold that you're looking back on that we can learn from? So I think uh, the criteria which we established at the end of, of, of the last episode was it, it has to be an own goal. It can't be something that uh, the client made worse. Right. And it, it had to be from you that you is, sold. This is like you sold this. You went to camera with this. You thought this was going to be great. And then right. when it cut when it was cut together, you were like, "Ooh, that didn't quite work out as I'd planned. Oh, yeah. Um, and in my defense, it was actually my first TV ad ever. Um, and it came a hot off the back of uh, me doing a bunch of radio. So I had a, I had a brilliant client named Rudy uh, on Taco Bell when I was at TBWA, Shia Day. And, um, and uh, he was just a lovely guy. He was a, a, a chain smoking Englishman um, who I was very fond of and uh, uh, kind of uh, he tolerated all my early um, uh, uh, dynamism, I suppose, is, is the way we'll, 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 we'll put it kindly. Uh, my dynamic nature, my early dynamic nature, over-enthusiastic, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, so I, I'd done a lot of uh, radio for Taco Bell. I was sort of in charge of the Taco Bell account. I was the writer on the Taco Bell account doing lots and lots of radio. Which was and and when when you write when you wrote radio in those days, uh, you you were also uh, primarily responsible for directing the talent as well too. So that was that was where I sort of learned um, how to direct talent, how to work with with uh, and just sort of comedic form as well too. Um, but of course, uh, as, as radio is theater of the mind, as, right. as they say, um, and so what works on radio isn't necessarily something that's going to work. Uh, on the screen. So my first TV commercial was a uh, would have made a great radio spot, I think. But it was a it was a it was using the trope of the father son chat. Oh um, yeah. Uh, and uh, a, a tired uh, tired uh, structure, but uh, hackneyed a little bit probably now. Back then, maybe less so. Um, uh, definitely fit the era. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a firm comedic construct then. There was a father-son chat about uh, mysteries of life. I don't think it was a birds and bees chat. Uh, I think it was more just kind of like, uh, what's it all about? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't remember the exact dialogue, but it, it, it kind of devolved into the father explaining life through um, uh the metaphor of a constructing a taco or a chalupa or whatever it was. And um, it was fine. It was just like dialogue comedy and like, just kind of like, here's the product insert product here, dialogue comedy, in a slightly comedic framework. And I had a, do you remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember buttons, but buttons were a really big thing back in the late nineties and early two thousands where you'd have your spot unfold. You'd have the end title and then you cut back to a bonus gag. Oh yeah, at the end, and those were called buttons. They've kind of fallen out of fashion, but are sort of coming back because uh, '90s advertising uh, is sort of coming back a little bit. And it had a button of him playing guitar and singing a song about uh, the mysteries of life. And it was just, um, again, it would have worked on radio, but it was really cringy in the edit. 
you you mentioned well, that's cool. I didn't know that was that term was called buttons when you. So explain buttons real quick, and then also the client. You know, you said chalupa. Yeah. So I don't know if we mentioned it was Taco Bell. Yeah. Uh, I I, get oh yeah, I think I might have mentioned Taco Bell, but um, okay. maybe not. Um, Makes sense though. So it was a conversation, father son, kind of serious about life metaphor for a chalupa building yeah. a chalupa uh tv spot and there was it had the button in it so what's the button again so so the button is the end gag the gag at the end of a commercial so it uh, wraps up you, yeah you, title or whatever and then and then one extra bonus gag <laughs> I, I like you, those. you return to the scene that you've just watched and, and, the, has, and has ostensibly wrapped up already yeah, I like those fun little. You, it's like a cherry on top. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And sometimes they're great, but uh, sometimes they're not. And I think they got a. It's, I think probably the first button was great, and then the second button was probably a little less great. And then uh, I don't know. It's, it's mm-hmm. that thing where where people start to ape yeah. a thing that they think is 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 funny, but uh, do it in a, a less impactful way, and then it, it becomes a. A, uh, a a cliche of the genre uh, anyway so how we got to find this thing right oh i know i'm gonna hopefully by the time because we're having this conversation in the moment and i've had a little look for it and haven't managed to find it with any degree of success but uh in the time between when this is recorded and when you actually post mm-hmm. it hopefully it'll be uh, yeah it'll be some time it'll be a non-issue and we'll, we'll be able to find it online and yeah i think if for some reason we don't find it by the time probably in a month from now um we'll have the listeners search for it so what what could be some keywords to, to look for father and son um uh could be uh think outside the bun which was the tagline for taco bell at the time um 90s you said uh, it was it was 2001 or 2002 okay. it was either 2001 or 2002 so it didn't work because of what it was it was just trying too hard. So one of the things that you learn, I mean, like a lot, and, and I say learn, uh, most, a lot of people still make comedy in a in a very um, obvious way. Uh, most most comedy spots are you should never try and make someone laugh. You should try and reveal truths uh, that just so happen to be funny. But if you're writing gags, if you're intentionally writing gags, like you're writing it for sketch comedy, it rarely ever works. Sketch comedy is a lot different than 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 uh, advertising commercials, comedic advertising commercials, because uh, with sketch comedy, you can be a lot sillier because there's uh, you've got a voluntary audience. You've got people who are coming to watch you, mm-hmm. whereas with with um, TV commercial comedy, um, you're you're invading people's homes and taking up their time and trying right. to sell them something so uh the price of entry uh usually if you're if you're trying too hard to make people laugh uh or you're trying too hard to make people cry as with anything intentionality is is quite uh quite important when you're when you're writing ads and you shouldn't be trying to do anything you should just be uh revealing truths i like that yeah it makes it easier too. I feel like less stress on the writer. Well, easier and uh, easier and harder because to, to uh, I mean to write something true is very difficult. That that is still compelling. That's yeah. still interesting to an audience. 
Um, yeah. I hear you on that. So that that was in 2001, and you were at PBWA Toronto. Exactly. So that was 2001 or 2002. I'm not sure. Or ish. Yeah. And yeah. you were there uh, at PBWA in Toronto, and you were a copywriter by on paper. That was it's, your title. Yes, I was. I was a copywriter. Yes. Copywriter. You're there for about two two years ish. Uh, a little less than two. Yeah, probably a little less than two. So it's like a year and a half, I'd say. Maybe I year. think for this second part of the recording, huh. I want to kind of go through a high level. Then the success in your career is you have a couple different amazing agencies. I see, uh, uh, I see Goodby, I see mm-hmm. BBH London, I see Wyden, I mean Droga, yeah. I, and now your your agency. Like, let's let's talk about high level. Like, what did you learn at these different agencies? Why did you leave? Like what inspired you? What were some great work? Just what yeah. are those main big points in your career? Those landmark moments. And, yeah. and we can start off leaving then uh, the Toronto agency. I saw that you were at uh, Mother Limited. Uh, yeah. So, that, so it was, I was at Mother uh, in London. Okay. So that's Mother. Got that's it. officially Mother. I think they were, I think they've changed their LinkedIn. I think they were Mother Holdings for a while and now they're Mother Limited. It's very confusing. Uh, I guess I think their uh, their yeah their their LinkedIn profile is their LLC, uh, sure. and, which is yeah. uh, funny. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No. I uh, my my uh, I, I moved over to the UK. Um, Reason yeah. for that? Uh, I just I really uh, I, I wanted to. Uh, to uh, my mother was over there, and, it, and it's, a lot of my favorite agencies were over there, and so I had a couch to surf yeah on, uh and uh and a bunch of agencies to break into so i i i just i i went for it um did you leave having a job lined up or did you just show up i i i was over visiting my mother at christmas time uh and uh yan and luke were kind enough to see me at mother they were a creative director team there at the time and uh, they liked my work and um i followed up with them a few months later and they said that there was an open position and did i want to come for an internship and i moved my entire life over to the uk for an internship placement yeah what did your mother say about that just uh i mean i knew there were lots of agencies there so i knew that even if for some reason i didn't um gel with mother there would there would be other opportunities, and I thought my work was relatively strong. I'd shot a Taco Bell campaign, notwithstanding. I had a couple of other uh, decent pieces of work that I'd made over the course of the year and a half. Uh, yeah, and uh, so no bad blood in in Toronto. You yeah, just, you just you had deep well, admiration from some of these other agencies. I, I, I've I've sort of loved every place uh, in in a very in its own specific way. Every right. place I've ever been. And so historically, like I actually feel quite bad moving jobs in market. So every mm-hmm. you'll notice every every job change that I've had, uh, I've moved continents. So I've just gone back and forth between the UK and America. Um, uh, so yeah, it was mother mother for a few years. Uh, then it was you spent a good amount of time there for for yeah. a little over four and a half years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it was a while 
Um, there, well, because the pipeline was great there at that time. Well, I mean, Mother still does great work all the time. But oh yeah, there was there was there was sort of like um, there were there were there were no bad briefs really. Everything was an opportunity, and um, uh, Robert and company really made sure that that uh, everything that was through the door was not just a money grab. It was actually like like good work, like an, or an opportunity to do good work. And he and he was he was it was. It didn't ever feel like he was trying to um, uh, just try to get business through the door so that he could attempt to do good work. He was always very polarizing uh, in the pitch process. He really put out the best work, the stuff that he thought was. was what's the What's the full name of this person we're talking about? Oh, Robert Savile. Sorry, gotcha. my apologies. Robert Savile, um, founder, uh, iconoclast. Um, uh, yeah, a big big personality uh sounds like a good podcast guest in the uh you'll never get him Mm. (laughs) i don't i don't think i don't think bob has ever has he's he's not a um i think he stopped doing interviews like probably 10 years ago oh well honest to god but um, well, there's other iconic class out there. There's other other wonderful people. Yes, I'm not. I'm not. There's no shortage. Thank you. Felix, uh, Felix Richter, who's uh, who's running Mother now. He's really good. Um, yeah. He was at uh, Drug in New York. Um, we were kind of like, uh, he was, he was, he was, yeah. Anyway, and we'll get to Droga. What was the biggest difference from, uh, I guess, just the advertising culture or what you noticed leaving so, Toronto uh, to? Yeah. It was a completely different world. London, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 London ad market was so different then, so different. Like, what was that like? How do you describe? Is it strategy focused? I don't know. You you. It was it was yeah. I mean, like I'd never like Toronto didn't have. We had one strategist who was good. It was a really smart guy named Stephen Wright. Um, w r i g h t. I'm mm-hmm. not sure he is now. I think he's he might be in Singapore. I think I saw weirdly on LinkedIn that his name popped up. I think he might be with BVH Singapore. Or something, um, but like, and and that was a late-breaking addition. There were no strategists there initially, and then um, uh, James Spence, who came in as a creative director, he was from HHCL, uh, and he he'd moved over to to Canada. I can't remember what he was what what agency he was at, but he moved from that agency to TBWA. He took over from from Pat and uh, and Ben, who I talked about last week. Pat uh, Parisian, Ben Benjamin, and he was running uh, TBWA Toronto, and he brought in a strategist, and and that was weird. And I, I hardly ever worked with Stephen, but we had cigarettes together out back, um, so that's how I sort of became acquainted with him. But strategy as a as a discipline was not a a, a real thing there. So coming over to the UK, uh, it was quite a shock that there was this this additional intermediary step that helped you. Uh, logically work through the problems, the business problems that your clients were giving you, and uh, and I think the the just the tone of the work was you were able to be a lot more irreverent and sardonic at the time during that period of British advertising. Everything was genuinely amazing. Uh, Anything but, come off like of that time? Did you either from Mother or any other agencies that we can look into? Oh yeah, I mean like the, it was it was it was a great era. That was the whole. Um, Levi's, uh, Xbox from BBH, from Mother. It was uh, all the the uh, the orange work, a lot of which I was involved in uh, at Fallon. I mean, the, the the famed sort of that that whole period was like you'd have uh, Sony Balls and Gorilla and um, uh, 
uh, yeah, uh, Abbott Mead Vickers was doing a lot of great work as well, too, for Guinness. That was the era of um, that decade that saw uh, Levi's Odyssey and, and, uh, and Surfer and... Uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, for for Guinness. So those are all your, all these ads that you just listed out were born in London. Yeah, all those part. from that London school of the two thousand. Gotcha. So sort of like that era was sort of like from nineteen ninety nine to I want to what? say like two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Knowing what you know, I guess, or even today, like should people go to london now they're just starting out in their careers like is it still that same hub for for strategy creativity yeah can you, can you find that anywhere now it's a great market the world has gotten smaller strategy has uh unfurled yeah it seems like every... sort of this this thing that uh is is now uh not uh, I mean, I, I've always loved strategy and, and valued it. And uh, not every creative, I feel like, does right. It's the it's the entire operating model for Orchard is strategy and creative truly working in lockstep. People and, say that. A lot yeah. of people say that, right? Or a like lot of pe- a lot of people say that, but we actually do it, which is really really different. So, what does that look like at Orchard then? Uh, it's it's where we. Um, address the business problem together. Mm-hmm. We work on the strategy together. Strategists work on the creative together. Our creative directors, we don't have art director and copywriter. We have a uh, strategic director and uh, creative director, either copy or art direction. And then mm-hmm. based on that, the team underneath. If we've got a copywriter uh, CD and uh, uh, a strategic director as your, your creative directing the project, right. then the team underneath will typically be more art direction heavy. Gotcha. So they'll make up for the 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 weak spot of the creative director. And okay. Then, and then vice versa. If it's an art director, creative director, then the team underneath will typically be uh, uh, more copy. Uh, what, are you, what are you looking for in a, like a great strategist when you're hiring, or uh, just uh, an ability to to think analytically, but also creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, many, many ways to solve a single business problem, um, but you have to do it with a degree of um, there, there's 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 things that are true. There are fundamentals that you need to. It's not just you're not just flinging darts at a dartboard. There, like- to me, where do you even start? Right, like there's so many different frameworks. I see these influencers strategists freelancers that had agency careers are making their own workshops and analyzing um case studies and working backwards like how do you even start as a strategist like i mean is it understanding just basic insights writing up a one-page brief breaking down where do you go how do you begin that is a phenomenal question i think it uh it's it's a profession that uh or a discipline specifically not profession discipline that rewards curious thinkers uh and analytical thinkers and uh usually if if your brain is built that way um did you ever consider it no no i i I, that's a hobby like i love strategy and i it's like it's like it's like it's like me uh considering dance like i love 
I love dance. I love the act of choreography. Or, uh, but my, I'm hopelessly uncoordinated. Okay. Or architecture. I love um, uh, structures and systems and the the the, the aesthetic beauty of of these uh, things that that house us and 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 where we find shelter. But at the same time, I'm so bad at math. <laughs> right so but you respect it but you don't you you don't get too involved you let them do their magic yeah and i have opinions right uh but taste uh, yeah yeah and, and exactly and taste but there's a there's a there's 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 a concrete logic to it and uh, and, and an obviousness that presents itself to strategies that I, strategists that i never see um i can't recognize it. it it can make sense to me but i can't conceive of it if that makes sense do you think London still is that like epicenter mecca for strategy? Like, if a junior strategist really wanted to be ingrained, go to school, maybe go to a portfolio school or a one-year program, should they go to London, or is that not necessary anymore? I I think because the because uh, it's been in the water for so much longer in London, naturally yeah. is going to be uh, a more established. Uh, uh, kind of uh, group of people to train from. Yeah, uh, but by by the same token, I mean uh, America. Between when I was at Wyden and uh, when I came back now, six and a half years later, uh, the 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 level, the standard of strategist has improved dramatically. You just get a you you see a you see a better. People are understanding now that it's it's well yeah it's not a nice to have it's the it's kind of the only way to sell good work anymore because yeah. because uh data has become such a such a, a big part of of how uh clients buy work got it so you left then mother and you went back to you went to goodby yeah so so yeah did you go to san francisco for that i did yeah i was in san francisco for three years and trained under jeff and rich yeah Absolutely. Um, I was partnered with Margaret, who's now uh, yeah. running the show there, and she was yeah. uh, brilliant, um, as you would expect, and just a wonderful human being. And worked, yeah. It was, so my main partners there were were the, the people that I connected with the most. There were uh, were, were Margaret and uh, and Leslie Leslie Barrett, who's who's now running the show there along with <laughs> Margaret, and then of course my now. Uh, strategic partner uh, Laura Janice, who um, yeah, we uh, we got along very well. Laura, Lori, Laura, Laura, shout she out Laura, CSO so you, of Orchard. So you met her at Goodby. Yes. And what was she doing? She was a strategy director mm -hmm. at Goodby. Yeah, when you got there. That's exactly right. You and you didn't know her beforehand. Uh uh no. So this we, is interesting. This is a big part part of your story. You huge, met somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we worked together on ice cream, and I'm not sure we produced much in the way of quality work. I think it was uh, it was either Briars or Dryers, whichever one Hagen does owned or or owned or owned, owned Hagen does. I think we worked on Hagen does a little bit too. We basically worked on really on uh, we, we were at the time we worked on very thankless accounts. Um, and didn't really get any work out together, but very, very much enjoyed uh, the struggle together. Nice. And, uh, and we've kind of spent, uh, like we, we were 
in touch, obviously, on the regular afterwards, uh, trying to find an opportunity to work together again. And, so, and, did, yeah, and that does happen. It yeah, did happen. It did. Spent 15 years trying to get back together again. And, oh, okay. So good. So you were there, at, then you were at Goodby for three years, I'm sure. It was incredible yeah. working under Jeff and Rich. Um, yeah. A lot of hills over in San Francisco. Yeah. My friend, my, one of my best friends just moved out there last year. And yeah. I was fortunate enough to go visit. Um, it's a nice city. It's a beautiful city. Um, the Bay. Yep. You go to Alcatraz? Yeah, uh, I never went to Alcatraz, weirdly. I People never... don't go there. I'm like, I was like, I want to go right away. See yeah. Al Capone. I'm from Chicago. I wanted to see Al Capone, like where yeah. he's his cell. But I digress. No, so, I, yeah. I love the idea of Alcatraz, but the logistics, like having to take a boat somewhere to see a thing, being stranded there, then getting the boat back. Like for some reason in my head, it always just seemed a lot harder than it probably actually was. I get that. My friends were joking that they were going to leave me there. Right. Wow. Like they were doing a Shutter Island experiment. Like sure. Like I, yeah. How long do you think you'd last in prison? Couple years. Couple years. Wow. Yeah, I got it. Wow. Jesus. Okay. Good. Good for you. I've been a couple times. No, I'm just kidding. It's called Breaking and Entering, right? That's the name of the show. You're a fighter. Breaking and Entering. Exactly. We all might go to jail if we all break. We sent these crowbars out, these crowbar awards. Oh, did you? Yeah, the kids got them. The students got them. Uh, Well, not kids. The recent grads of college. Sure. And they're awesome. I want them to break into an agency with it. So That's fun. Yeah. yeah, It's a cool award. Yeah. We we might have you judge a a crowbar award. They're quarterly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We would love to have you. uh, Happy to do it. Happy to do it. We'll be in touch. Oh. Um, okay, so then BBH, I see Wyden, Droga yeah. 5, you spent, I think Droga, uh, if I'm looking correctly here, was your longest stint at an agency, and that was in London. It was. And I remember reading all about, on the trades, you leaving Droga uh, for Orchard. So where do you want to take it from here? I think like high level best ads you might have made biggest learnings just from bbh to, to droga what goes on what goes on in that world of, is of your your show. You, you tell me where you want me to focus so you want um i want to know work highlights from bbh to the present yep let's go okay um so bbh was was a good experience it was uh, a very specific I think I learned a lot uh, in terms of uh, uh, how to be with clients and uh, uh, let's be in quotes and, uh, and, and learned the, the, the practice of strategy kind of from slash with Laura. Like she was so fundamental in helping me um, learn how to think, um, which is why like our dynamic now is like, it's so easy. It's like riding a bicycle because she taught me to think strategically really. Um, and we worked on so many briefs and kicked the tires on so many things. So all, so if Goodby was foundational for uh, how to do account management and how to do strategy, uh, then BBH, I realized the importance of getting a lot of great creative work uh, and making that in a short amount of time. Right. Cause you I, said good be you, you, you met Laura, but yeah. you didn't get a lot of work out, but BBH 
Would be like two things out that I was really, really proud of, but it was three years of a lot of frustration, but learning. Got it. Uh, in BBH, and, you got a lot of briefs and you were able to turn, yeah. you, you, you got into your flow and exactly. you BBH sold a lot. Take everything I'd learned from Goodby and apply it to the creative work. And it was bang, 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 bang. So I had a very, very good uh, three and a half years there putting out an awful lot of work. The Guardian is probably the most famous, the, ah, three yes. eggs, the whole picture of that campaign. There was lots of work for, um, uh, I, I was running the Axe account. Uh, did that with Don Goldman for at first, and then I, I, I took over from him on that account and uh, did some big campaigns there. Um, big time with The Guardian, three pigs, correct? Yes. Um, uh, that was gold pencils I saw pretty much. Yeah. You get any lions for that, I'm sure? Yeah, bunch of gold lions for that as well. Too. Was that like your big award-winning like career session? That was that was the there's always anyone who's quote unquote made it in advertising always has one year where yeah it, that was your year breakout it, year it's, yeah it's like a yeah it's a big year where you get a bunch of awards for a thing but right you get one you, you create one or two campaigns that yeah. and then you and then my job it's my job to enter these damn award shows right. Yeah, 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 a million times in a bunch of different categories. I don't know if that was the case for yours, but um, and if, if it does well in one of the big five, it'll start winning in each yeah. one. The judges start to see it, and obviously, it's great work. And then it'll start rallying up a bunch of different awards in these yeah. different shows, right? Yeah, I, I think it was a little less um, methodical back then. Okay. Uh, even ten years ago, I think it, it kind of got really it ramped up. That, this this was around like 2012. This was right around the time that uh, that everything got international, and that these these systems of which you're speaking got way more formalized. Ah, okay. a lot more of a business. Award shows used to be more just like yearbooks of the best advertising, and sure they were money making ventures, but they the uh, but they, they I think it was less um, uh, less deliberate. I think um, uh, there well, are full-time jobs or it's just award show. So yeah, exactly. So that wasn't really as much of a thing uh, in 2012. It was, sort oh of, yeah. That's sort of something that's kind of, that's nice. That's sort of the area. The early 2010s is when everything mm, started sounds like a much simpler time. It, it was a much simpler time. Um, uh, I don't think it was, a. I, some people would argue that it was a better time. I disagree. Uh, I think there was a, it's 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 it there was better more there was more better television advertising but i think uh and so you, you often get uh older people bemoaning the state of the industry now but i think there's there's a lot of really great creativity out there it's just not necessarily on a screen oh yeah absolutely obviously, obviously which seems like such an obvious thing to say but i think people complain about uh advertising being not as 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 brilliant as it once was and i think what they what they really mean is some more of these traditional forms like uh television and press and poster but that's because uh the the media landscape has has grown exponentially and there, there are far more different ways to communicate and so uh yeah gotcha so bbh that was your breakout, like yes. your big award show year, uh, uh, agency stint. So the, from there, you got deputy executive creative director and partner. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah life's yeah. looking good. You're going to stay there forever. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think I was ready for the next challenge. Uh, I think I was ready to, to try and, uh, so run, run a place. Nick, Nick Gill, brilliant, brilliant. Um, ECD gave me a lot of room to kind of maneuver. And I had a, an enormous amount of autonomy at BBH, which was very nice. But at the same time, I kind of wanted to see if I could do the whole thing. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Wyden brand was very strong at the time, obviously. And so uh, you go to Wyden, Portland, correct? New York. I know. Yes. Why, I why, why did you go to New York then? I, I, Cause everybody knows Portland for Nike and, and uh, I'm not sure what the state of Wyden, New York was in 2014 and 2015. It was okay, but it needed to kick up the pants. And, right. uh, and, and Portland, I think, I, w I probably wouldn't have wanted that job. I, I don't think I, they would have given me that job at that stage. Uh, but uh, the, but Portland was almost too good and too successful, and there wasn't enough to work with. And you'd just be going in there and trying to play catch up with uh, yeah. with, um, with with uh, these uh, this this force to be reckoned with. This agency, this behemoth. But New York was uh, had a lot of potential. Um, and so what uh, were you working on or what did you do you oversee every client for the account so they just so uh, we we just won gap so gap there was gap there was espn there was delta uh, uh there was um uh southern comfort um there were yeah just a bunch of really interesting brands we and then when we uh we, we won uh, the squarespace super bowl project uh, which is where the sleeping tapes with Jeff Bridges kind of came from uh, and sort of established their, um, uh, their, well, their, their current paradigm where you bring in a celebrity and show how they use yeah. the, 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 the website to, to great effect. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that was, that was the, that was the widen era. So I don't know if we, uh, I don't know my, my time there, um, half of it was with uh, with Susan as my partner, and half of it uh, Susan Hoffman, mm -hmm. um, uh, line of Saint Mark uh, recipient. Yeah, this, yeah year. this year. Yeah, this year. Congrats uh, to Susan. Let's get you on too. Sorry. Let's get her on the show too. Susan's great, and she's such a great talker. And uh, uh, yeah, I bet I bet you Susan would do it. She's she's very humble, but she's she's such an amazing mind and a brilliant person. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, half my time there was also with, uh, with Jamie Robinson, who now runs, uh, Joan, uh, oh. her own agency. Oh, um, Joan. Yeah. 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 So, uh, wow. was, you, you're, you're really putting yourself in these scenarios with amazing creatives and the partners are, it's, yeah, who, who, who your colleagues are, who you learn from. It's very important. Which I also, I, I think, uh, similar minds gravitate towards right each other as well too both creatively and strategically so, so what led you then to droga 5 london uh, um uh i missed london um like i, I the, the widen experience was a good one but uh, i think um yeah new york yeah and, and new york at the time felt very mm -hmm. uh moneyed i think uh i think it's, it's interesting that when you have uh, Republican mayors running a city for that long and 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 um, basically selling the entire place out to the private sector, uh, it, it it gives a lot of 
you know, the, the, it's, New York was very kind of um, uh, playground for the rich at the time. Weirdly, I think the pandemic has cleared it out a little bit, hmm. made it a lot more interesting of a place to live again. But yeah, it felt a little, I think New York felt a little soulless at the time and London felt like more of a community. And, uh, and so, and, and I got along really well with, 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 with David Droga. And so it felt like uh, that was a, an interesting project to take on. You did that for six, a little over six and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Biggest biggest learnings from Droga, five London, and David himself. What's 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 he like? Uh, David's lovely. He's just yeah. he's, he's just an actual wonderful human being, like a really good person, and really really smart. And uh, and yeah, just uh, how close? I mean. You're, you were the chief creative officer at, yes. at that point. So you were probably working with him directly all the time. Uh, no, I mean, he was, he was, he was um, focused on New York. New York was getting so big at the time, it was like ballooned like crazy. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, and he was also eyeing up global expansion and whatnot. And so, yeah. I mean, we, and he did it. Yeah. David and I were always friendly and uh yeah and and would so you were overseeing london he was really taking care of things in new yeah, york and london of course I, I but think, I think london had a bit of a false start i think it was droga drugified europe first and i okay. think uh, it wasn't doing quite so well and he just needed to plop someone over there who could handle it uh because because new york was just popping off it was it was so he trusted you yes i think he i think he was a fan of the work and he understood that i was my 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 name was quite strong in the london market you had some autonomy over in london and he was like i need you david to take care of this yeah and that was one of the things that we said at the beginning is i was very i was very uh i I wasn't uh shy about how important that was to me and the fact that that i i I, uh i was at the stage now where i actually didn't want anyone um not in a disrespectful way but it just like that's appealing when you're ready to do your thing you want to do your thing and not have someone holding the pen. Oh, that's, this is interesting now. So you get in there, yeah. you got the autonomy, you got to kind of fix, fix, yeah. I guess maybe, or elevate the market there in, yeah. in London, Europe. You were saying it was like Europe at first or what? Droga, Droga the, the, the work coming out of the place hadn't necessarily been uh, that strong. The, 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 the foundation, all, all the, all the foundational elements were there. There were really good people in the building. Right. But, but I something think was missing. Something was just missing. I, th- I think um, that was you. Maybe I don't want to. No, no. I, who I, knows? I think lots of people probably could have done that job. But um, so, what? Did, how did you approach it? What was the first thing you did? What What was your big goal there, and what did you achieve? Well, uh, it's it's the the thing that I I wanted to do is make sure that everyone was working together in pursuit of uh, a common goal, which was the best work possible. My remit was to not to make a a fuck ton of money. Um, it was to uh, to uh, establish Droga as a creative force in that market, and so sure. it was just about making great work and not worrying about the numbers. New York was making so much money at that stage, but it, it, it didn't actually. It wasn't that important. The money, right? Wasn't that's like important. that's like a perfect position to be in. That's like what who would pass that opportunity up? I mean, you have experience in London. Um, I'm sh- you had great people, and you just needed to unify. You didn't have to worry about because a lot of times agencies have to worry about making money. Exactly, and they'll put up you know, you know, 
they'll make bad work or yeah. they'll give up and they'll appease the client because they're you know bringing them in money so you yeah. didn't have to worry about that no, so who are some of those big clients that you Drogo was, Drogo was true to his world word about that and that was great he said you don't actually have to he said it would be nice if you didn't lose any money yeah but, yeah <laughs> but yeah let's not go crazy worry about profit it's just mostly about the product um, which is amazing well it was really smart it was it, it was just understanding the market at the moment and the fact that it, 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 if you're going to charge a premium for superior creativity the creativity has to be superior um and so uh we we started with uh, i think rustlers was our first there were there were clients already there and some of them were interested in doing good work but most of them weren't um yeah and uh, uh and so we weeded out some of those and and brought in some new ones rustlers the we shot a film for rustlers we got we uh, had rustlers which is a microwavable burger uh, mm. product company um uh and and the, our first big thing or our, our big like kind of we're here um came about nine months into my tenure we had we had a few little bits and pieces uh with the existing clients which were some of them were okay but the first thing that i was really really proud of was uh, was was uh, the wrestler's work, and that was shot with Steve Rogers. Uh, Eighty years of torment, I think it was called. Um, okay, I was going to ask you what the, what are those keywords that people? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was that was uh, the the first piece that kind of signaled that we were there. And from there, we got uh, slightly larger clients like Ancestry and uh, and Quiff and Secret Escapes, and those things kind of led to uh so like amazon and barclay card and so it was just it was just a um yeah just a, a exactly the 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 development curve was exactly as you'd expect just upward trajectory um heck yeah yeah when did they when did accenture come into play uh so it was probably about halfway through or two-thirds uh, did you see that did did you know that when you took the job did you know accenture was coming no, I, I mean, it, it was, it was uh, the, the William Morris Endeavor um, minority stake thing had already happened. Um, and so there was an assumption that eventually someone would probably buy the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, didn't know when. Um, but yeah, uh, no, the, we, we didn't know. Um, and I think at the time, of course, a lot of people were alarmed because everyone is when, when a holding company buys a... An independent. independent agency right but, uh it, it, it always felt like it was for the right reason and uh accenture interactive as they were called at the time now mm -hmm. so um uh the I, I think it was it was so alien as a as an entity to the advertising industry that it, it, they never really acted they never really operated as um uh, a spoiler like some uh, some of the other holding companies the the more nefarious ones uh off often do yeah so who who did i guess in that uh accenture interactive at the time what yeah. were some like were they looking at other agencies i assume droga 5 would be their flagship creative offering yeah like, I think, who, who I think, else did they have under their belt uh that's an excellent question yeah um that might be a, yeah well, I think Car Carmorama in market was already owned by Accenture, and then there was Rothko in Ireland. Uh, Rothko has now become Droga Ireland. Okay. Carmorama, I believe, is still Carmorama. Uh, 
but yeah, there was it, it, this was Drogo was definitely the crown jewel. Did you that. notice a shift then? Like, because everything I read at the time, uh, I was a student, and I was actually visiting the New York office, and I asked somebody at the time. I heard you guys got acquired by Accenture. You're worried about the creative endeavors. Will that be, will affect you all? She's like, no, we'll be good. No, no one was, uh, and it didn't affect the creative. It if anything. All- right like kind of like with the conversation of like not worrying about like making a huge profit like your accenture has got i'm sure quite a bit of money well yeah and, and uh, data as well that you can tap into yeah it was it was actually it was like it was like rocket boosting what we already had which was great and actually we probably had our most successful years after being acquired by accenture both creatively and monetarily as long as they don't put their hand right and no into the process i'm sure they that's, if they were smart, they wouldn't have. I had no issues. The only the only problem I had was was around like, it's like the admin was harder. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, because when you've got a company that has to accommodate that many different people around the globe, there's definitely going to be systems and proceeds put into place that don't necessarily fit uh, everyone. And, yeah. Yeah. Being an independent's nice. I yeah. Would imagine. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's good things about it and bad things about it. I mean, like the right. thing I'll always say is that there's no, there's no, uh, when people bemoan, um, grass is uh, always greener. Sales of agencies. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's the thing I always say is there's, there's crappy independence too. Oh yeah. So it's like there's, yeah, independence is not uh, a recipe for quality. There's, no. some, there's some great agencies that are owned by holding companies. There's some terrible agencies that are owned by holding companies. From, from a new business and a comms perspective, which I do, I can see it being a little bit easier to craft a narrative around an independent shop. Because oh, for sure. There's, there's obviously you're working with the you know chief creative officer. It's a little bit smaller. You own yeah. it. You don't have to get approvals from another continent. Yeah. You can do creative things for your own brand as an agency. I am very, very happy to be uh, running an independent shop. Definitely, yeah. and it's funny. It's like I'm extolling the virtues of holding companies, but at the same time, I, I, I generally, uh, I'm not a. I haven't spent a lot of my career working at agencies that are, uh, well, yeah, owned by holding companies or, or even, uh, uh, yeah. So, so that's. That pretty much, I know there's so much in those six and a half years and, you know, this high level podcast, but, um, so then leaving Droga five London for orchard, that was about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, it was, it was a year actually, maybe a year and a couple months, but, um, yeah, it it was, uh, it was an opportunity to reteam with Laura and with Barney, who I knew from uh, my BBH days and we back to New York. Yeah, played around with the idea of, uh, of 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 setting something up, and it didn't really happen. I went to Droga. Um, uh, uh, this was years and years before. And then they set up with um, with, with Jeff Kling, and then uh, and uh, and they were Lightning Orchard at the at the time. And then uh, mm. and then Jeff Kling decided to move back to LA and uh, do something else. And uh, and so there was a slot to be filled. So I came in and uh, and did that, and we rebranded as Orchard. And so um, that's that's kind of where we are now, doing what we're doing. A twenty twenty three A list creativity award winner. That's what I'm reading on LinkedIn. That's not a bad thing. You're a creative one hundred. Yeah. 
that's pretty good yeah we got on the, the on the uh on the a list and then part of the creative 100 that week which is lovely and um ad age leading women 2021 laura janice um yeah laura yeah. janice is, is the uh she's phenomenal Genuinely. so you're doing something right i guess that leads us to the last question i guess yeah. what's your final piece of advice for anybody that wants to get in this agency after all of you've learned after all these years what can somebody take down today to apply to their break-in and to their successful career uh think strategically talk to laura right it's it's, it's yeah it's all <laughs> her up it's that simple it used to be a nice to have now it's a need to have I mean, there's the two pieces of advice I always give. One is about like taking in as much art and and as as you possibly can, art, art, music, consume as much culture as humanly possible because those are your inputs. Um, It seems obvious, but uh, but no, people, I tell people right away, like if if you're an undergrad, you're competing against the best portfolios in the world, right? It's so you need to see what you're up against and you need to know like the best work that's ever been out there. Look at the hundred best ads of all time, like get those under your belt as well. Start to get that repository built. In the early days, absolutely study advertising. Early days. But look at everything else. And the, the your, your, as you understand, as you learn advertising, as you understand advertising, advertising needs to stop being something that you're obsessed with and you need to start being obsessed with culture uh, writ large. And, I like that. And start applying that. It's, there needs to be a, a period of changeover where you actually start ignoring advertising in the work of your contemporaries and start looking at the culture around you because culture is what guides so is it where the industry is headed would you recommend then getting the foundation of like okay this is like these are like what are known have been known as because i know some people say like drummers don't take drum lessons because it like ruins your creativity when you somebody tells you how to you know drums. i think you have to learn the fundamentals you really do but then you have to uh, figure out how to how to play around. Learn the rules, and then learn how to break them. Kind of exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah, and keep consuming culture throughout your life. I think the big mistake that everyone makes: if you want a long career, you can't take your foot off the gas. Oh yeah, you can't see that. Work. Yeah, you do. You do, and you you see a lot of people saying it's like I have all these marketable skills. I know how to copyright. I know how to art direct. And it's like that's half the job. In fact, it's not even half the job. You can learn those elements, but you, like uh, understanding culture and relevance and where we are at in this human moment is such a such a big and important part of the job. So for a long career, you need to keep taking things in. You can't just turn your life to to gardening and looking after the kids. You need to be going to things, seeing things, consuming things if you want a long, fruitful career. To thrive in advertising and understand strategy learn how to think strategically that's hugely important i love it mm-hmm. david thank you so much we have your resources we'll put that on our instagram this is our first ever two-part episode and it was full of amazing content how can people find out more about you learn more about orchard well um uh, uh orchard is the agency um uh, you know what the funny or thing is? Creative.com. Yeah, I, I think, is that what it is? I'm yep. like, that's 100%. so funny. I'm like, what's the URL? Laura Janice, David Colbush, Barney Robinson, Jim Lasser, Jen Thank Pennington. You. Yeah, More. orchardcreative.com or our socials. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. 
It's funny that I didn't know what our handle was, but there you go. Um, check us out. Amazing. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Gino.